Hey, everybody, who loves coffee? I love coffee. I know you love coffee. And if you don't love coffee, you know what? You should probably start loving coffee. And I got just the coffee for you guys. You can go to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee and purchase a bag of The Morning Roar. Uh, it's a partnership we have with our friends at Anarcho Coffee. Uh, it's a delicious blend. I drink it every single morning out of my French press because I'm classy like that, and it's the best way to drink coffee. You don't have to drink it out of a French press. You can put it in your little fancy Keurig machine or your coffee maker, however you drink coffee. You can get it that way. Um, you're going to get the coffee, so go to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. You're going to follow a link that's going to take you over there, which makes sure that we get little credit for kicking some business that way. We get paid. It's fantastic. So make sure you're buying it through this link. And I also want to remind you that there is a, uh, a code. If you join the Lions of Liberty Pride at the $10 or higher level, we have a coffee code that is going to get you 15% off every time you buy the Morning Roar. So check it out. LionsofLiberty.com slash coffee. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Felony Friday, what do we do here on Felony Friday? We talk to felons, we talk to people in law enforcement, we talk to lawyers, journalists, activists. We talk to people who know about the criminal justice system, who want to shine a light on injustice within the system, or who have experienced the injustice in the system firsthand by going to prison. Today's episode, I have one of those people joining me to share their story. This story is going to blow your doors off. It is an unbelievable story. It's a great story for people to listen to. It's super, super inspirational. I'll introduce my guest in just a minute. I want to remind you guys that there are other shows here on Lions of Liberty. I am not, you know, the only show on the Lions of Liberty podcast network. We have a show every Monday hosted by Mark Claire. It's our longest running program, our flagship program. Uh, Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement and hosts roundtable discussions. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams, Brian goes through the news in a very entertaining and angry fashion, and he puts his libertarian spin on it. You don't want to miss it every single Wednesday, Electric Liberty Land. And Friday, of course, the show you're listening to today. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Hit that subscribe button to get the Lions of Liberty podcast delivered to your little listing device in your pocket every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. This show, today's episode of Felony Friday's episode 188. That means the show notes page is at lionsofliberty.com slash FF188. Let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Irma Allred. Irma was convicted for conspiracy to possess with intent to sell marijuana. Uh, she was sentenced to 364 months in prison. Uh, for those people that think about uh that time frame in terms of years, that is 30 years and four months. Uh, this was along with a fine of $25,000 with 18% interest and uh, 10 years of probation. She was released from prison on October 30th of 2015, and she is here today to share her story with the Felony Friday audience. Irma, welcome to Felony Friday. Well, thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. It's great to uh, get to speak with you. I'm really happy that our mutual friend Malik King connected us, as uh, Malik has done for for so many of my guests. He's an outstanding guy. Um, just wanted to start out before we get into talking about you know everything from with the conspiracy and your time in prison and, and all that stuff. If we could just uh, just so my audience can, can get to know you better and a little bit more about you, if you could just share. A um, little bit about your background, where you grew up, sort of what uh, what your life was like before uh, you're, you're running with the law. Okay. All right. Well, my name is Irma. Uh, before I got married, it was Calderon, Calderon. And uh, I come from Texas, a small town 
uh, suburb of Corpus Christi, Texas. It was called Robstown, Texas. And our team name was the Robstown Cotton Pickers because we had a lot of cotton growing around. I come from a very God-fearing parents. Uh, they were so strict, uh, very strict. I went to a parochial school for seven years. I was raised by my grandma and grandpa from my mama's side. And that was because when I would go visit my mama, my grandma and grandpa with my mom, I always had more fun with my grandparents. So uh, little by little, I started staying there and pretty soon I was just living there. But uh, my grandparents were very, very strict. And well, that, that's what I did. Uh, they were so strict, I, I couldn't even go to the movies or nothing like that. I found out what pizza was at the age of 12 years old. Okay. So you, you didn't can, have any pizza until you were 12 years old. At 12 years old, I found out what a pizza was. Because <laughs> my, yeah. I mean, they were like, they were from Spain and it was like, uh, they had two ranches. And when I was growing up, I thought everybody had cows. I tell this to everybody because for real, when I was growing, I would go to with my aunt, with my grandfather to different places, and it was my uncles and cousins and stuff, and they all had cows. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, when I went started growing up, and I found out that not everybody had cows, and I was like, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But I was very fortunate to have uh, had that strict upbringing, also because I learned a lot of respect for other people. And it was just me. I really had no business getting into any problems because I had everything that I wanted. It's just my parents were so strict that I never saw the other side. And when I did, it was kind of like crazy. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, I went to a parochial school. Then I went to a, a high school like everybody else, and it was totally different. Uh, I started meeting uh, people in in my hometown. Uh, It was uh, a lot of drugs. There was a lot of drugs, a lot of pot, a lot of heroin. It was nothing to see a 13-year-old shooting up heroin. And this was like, yeah, this was back in the 70s. It was so bad. My father was an elected official. He was a constable, which is equal to uh, the county sheriff back home. And he was elected uh, oh my God, for 35 years, he actually died in office and was a bell, very well-respected man mm-hmm. to where you had some of the guys that uh, did something like killings and stuff like that, because my hometown was known for stuff like that. And they would turn themselves into my father because my father would speak to them and stuff. And he was a very fair man, you know, except with his daughter. You know, and then really and truly he was trying to help me out. It just, I was strong headed mm-hmm. and, uh, the, and I believe that the only reason that I started, you know, going that direction was because, um, uh, my first boyfriend, he was a drug dealer, but being, like I said, I was so sheltered from life and stuff from real life that I really didn't know what a drug dealer looked like or anything like that. And the guy would just walk me to the house and stuff. And and that was it. If I got home late, I was going to get a whipping, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I'm talking a whipping, this were good old-fashioned whippings with a belt, okay? You mm-hmm. would go to school with uh, bruises and everything, you know. Nowadays, you can't do that. But anyway. And this would be when you were living with your with your grandparents, right? Yeah, when I was living with my grandparents because my, my father still had control, okay? And... Uh, so uh, one time, uh, m- my so-called boyfriend, uh, <laughs> by word only, really, uh, he went out of town and he got killed. So when I found out, uh, my father told me that he didn't want his daughter going to no drug dealer's uh, funeral. And I told him all I wanted to do was just go to the funeral and pay my respects. And that's all I wanted. And he told me no, no, and no. And his word was it, no. And I, I got upset and I told him, well, you know what? Where he left off, that's where I'm taking over. And I and and really and truly, I I did an about face from the whole person that I was, you know. And I started meeting people and being 
I met the right people at the right time back in the days. And they really weren't the right people. But in the drug world, they were the right people. And that's how I got started. If we need to just back up for a minute there because, I mean, that's um – you know, to have you said you know boyfriend and name at the time. I don't know how serious you were, how how well you two knew each other, but to have uh, you know somebody that you knew, I, I assume, generally pretty well to to die like that at that young age, that had to be pretty traumatic for you. It was. It, it really was, especially when it's like your first boyfriend. Now you got to understand, my father is a very strict guy. Okay, one time I asked him if I could date this one guy just to go to the movies. And he told me, no, he actually did a background check on this guy. Okay. Yeah. And because he had a ticket, he came to my grandparents and gave me the whole readout, you know, and he said, no, you know, so that's how strict he was. You know? So I was like, so sheltered. And I, I just wish that, you know, sometimes, I wish that they would have trusted me more and given me a little bit more freedom. I don't think I would have turned out like this. I mean, yeah, it was. It's almost like you were. Do you think you were rebelling against yeah. against your father? Oh, yes. I was rebelling against my dad. I did everything possible just to get back at him and stuff. But then later on, you know, we 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 started talking and stuff, and and grown up. My father actually gave me some good words and and told me something that will always stick with me. You know, he told me that he was no matter what, he was proud of me. You know, of the of the person because uh, I was a very loyal person. Even if I was in the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, I was loyal to whatever. And if because he he always brought my grandfather always brought us up that if you give your word, you better watch out because you're going to have to back it up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's how we were brought up. We were brought up old school, you know, very old school and very strict, but that's, that's about it. So, so did that, did that loyalty um, end up getting you in trouble? Do you think in yeah. um, your loyalty to some of the, uh, you know, the nefarious characters that you were, you were hanging yeah. around at that time? Yes. And, and, and back in them days, you didn't think of them as uh, they were doing you anything wrong. They were mainly like my teachers. And uh, this, uh, the people that I hung around, they were no little peons that you would just no. This were like the big time dope dealers. This were the, like the bosses. You know, and uh, I did a lot of sitting back and just listening to them talk, going to meetings and listening to them talk. And, and then they would ask, as, when we would leave, they would ask me, well, what did you think about this? And and they valued what I said because I was always listening. If I didn't think that that other person was going to be good for their business, I would I would tell them and they would believe me because I was always listening. I was just like learning the wrong things. But I, that's what I was doing. Right, but still, but still learning, you know, learning how to read people, maybe. And yeah, learning, that's uh, that's really what it was, you know, and and being from what from the people that I hung around with and stuff, and then not only that, but also with my dad, I didn't even have a boyfriend. Okay, it was like nobody, you know, they were scared. They were scared to to make a move on you because uh, you know all hell would break loose. Somebody would come back at them. Right, yeah, you had your dad running background checks on your on your own yeah. boyfriend. So, yeah. <laughs> so you you get involved with this crowd, and you're learning from them. Um, they're trusting you. There's, I guess, there's some loyalty there, a mutual respect, maybe back and forth. And what's the what's the next step? How did you get? How did you end up getting tied up in a uh, in this conspiracy? Well, I. Uh after all this time, I, wa- I just, I wanted to leave. I wanted to start a new life. I had, a, I had two kids, two little babies and stuff. So I went to Florida and there I met this one guy and he was a farmer and we just started like really and truly farming, but he was also broke. And I just told him, well, I know how to make money, you know, and, and, and that's how we started. But then he started doing, I wanted just to, get okay, you know, 
pay everything, whatever we could, start making a life, and then just leave the business. I didn't want to do that no more. I wanted to settle down, but he didn't want to. He just kept on and on and on and, and you know, kind of like forcing you to do this and forcing you to do that and because and, I was letting him run the whole business and stuff from by then. Mm-hmm. And then things started happening and uh, he got, you know, it's like how they say that, you know, their, their head got full of air sometimes, you know, they're thinking they're almighty and that. And and then that's what happened. Instead of uh, taking care of what he was supposed to be taking care of, he was just spending money left and right and just pretending to be he was all that, you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, we starting somebody, to think that starting to think that he was invincible, probably. Yeah, yes, and uh, you you can't do that, you know. And so there was this one guy that uh, didn't like him and stuff, and he was trying to talk to me to for me to work with him and stuff, and and I just wouldn't, you know. I mean, I I didn't like this person. Well, he got in trouble, and he just started turning people in and turning the names, and he started saying a lot of stuff that really wasn't true. And some stuff was true, but it was a combination. And then they started getting more people involved and people that I didn't even know. It's like when I went to trial, there was some lady that I never knew what she was. And she was saying that I had, you know, uh, 1,200 pounds for this. And I'm looking at them like, who the heck is this lady? You know, I don't even know her. And how about like they tack that weight on me and they reduce her sentence. So did you, you, you actually went to trial with, with yeah, this? Yeah, I, took, I took it to trial. I took it to trial because they were offering me life, you know. And I said, like, I asked the attorney, well, what percentage do I have that I might win? And he said, one. I said, well, guess what? I'm taking that one percent. because Wait, I'm the, the plea they offered you was life? Life, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what, yeah. what, were, what were the charges against you at that time? Conspiracy to possess with intent to distribute. How about like they didn't catch nothing? There was nothing that they caught. They caught money from other people, and the people said that it was mine. They caught pot from other people that said it was mine. You know, so at the very end, I mean, some of it was, but a lot of it wasn't. You know, so it, it wasn't even like they caught you in the middle of a of a deal of a transaction, or had you had you sold no. to an undercover uh, agent or something like that. No, they they were investigating us for 10 years, and they they never caught me with anything, nothing. But it was because it's a hearsay. They will believe somebody, and and that's how they convict you, on hearsay. Mm -hmm. And that's mainly what they got on, on me. But like I said, I had done a lot of stuff, and I think it just, you know, it it just got cut up, I believe. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, some of them people, I didn't even know. But they're, they're not going to listen to you. You are guilty until you're proven innocent. But then that's when they throw the conspiracy word at you. It doesn't matter. Conspiracy, you're going to be guilty. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and that's how it works. They'll bring anybody to testify against you. And everybody went to court. And from what we got... Uh, a lot of the the stuff that they brought up was not mine, you know, and and still I took the worst time for everybody, and mainly because I was also Hispanic, you know, and then I was in a, a, a kind of like a redneck country there. So I mean, I don't know what else to say. Huh? All I know is that they they did that. So what? Uh, My what husband got six years. Your husband got six years. Yeah, or my ex-husband because I had just gotten divorced. Okay. And uh, uh, he got six years, and then uh, other people that were involved, they testified, and they got two years. Some got six months. Uh, one of the cousins, uh, he got ten. He got twenty-four years, but then they testified, and they got ten years. And I mean, I and I, I got thirty years. Unbelievable. And I expected so, somebody. So what- at what point in time was this? Was this in this was in the nineties or nineteen ninety four? So this is yeah, this is the height of the war on drugs, right? Yeah, yeah uh-huh. and the conspiracy is for ten years from nineteen eighty four to nineteen ninety four. Is what they gave it. Okay, so they gave you thirty years, and you got out. 
on October 30th, 2015. Yeah, so. I got out because of uh, uh, the two points reduction. When the Sentencing Commission met and they decided to lower the tables, the weights, uh, they found out that they had sentenced me excessively then because they, uh, they went over the, 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 the amount of time, but only because they changed the, the law here and then. I had several opportunities to fight also, uh, like to the grand jury, I mean, to the Supreme Court. And, you know, a lot of those cases are very hard, very, very hard to get uh, approved and, and heard. And my case was approved and uh, I was supposed to answer back. And how about like my papers got lost right there in, in prison? Nobody found out. So time went by and and I lost my case because I never got the papers. This This is just so... So, so I mean, it's I want to say unbelievable, but it's not unbelievable because you know I hear stories like this all the time doing these interviews. But it just yeah. it never fails to just completely blow my mind that this is a completely nonviolent crime, right? You weren't accused of any violent acts or anything like that. This is just conspiracy yeah. to possess with intent to sell marijuana. Well, I'm, not, which- I'm not telling you that I didn't do a lot of the stuff. I did do, but not for no life sentence or thirty years. Okay, nothing for that. It's just, uh, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, you know? uh, yeah, uh, it's completely, completely. When nuts. I went to prison, I saw ladies there that had tons of heroin and, and, and they would get five years, 10 years. And I'm like, I didn't understand the system. Some mm-hmm. people had child molestations and they got two years. And I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? You know, and I'm like, I, they didn't even catch me with a joint, and and I got thirty years, and then I like wow, <laughs> that's all yeah, you could say was wow. The thing with uh, with child molesters getting out early, actually, one of my first guests I had in the show way back, she was a uh, Regina Huffnagel, I believe is her name, and she was a corrections officer, and she saw that happen so many times where there'd be nonviolent drug offenders with sentences, you know, five, six, ten times longer than child molesters or people abusing children that she just would one day quit. Like she just threw, threw her hands up and said, I can't, this, I can't be a part of this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's and, and, and they brag about it. Them child molesters, them, the women, they would get over there and, and outside. Like they would have this tree back in the days when you were able to smoke and stuff. And then they made it to a federal building. You couldn't smoke. Okay. And they would get out there and actually talk about it. And we would like get so upset. Some of us got into trouble because we would like, you know, answer to that because they would mm-hmm. be talking about that. Yeah, I would do that to the kids. And oh, no, uh-uh. no man, we, you, you lose it. You lose it. And you lose days over stupidity like that in prison. And and really, they do that. Just I, I don't even know why they put them kind of people there with some people that, you know, uh, they need to be placed somewhere else. Because if they brag about it, you're going to react to it. Yeah, you're going to react and, you know, something happens, which it's hard not to react to that. And then you end up, you know, getting getting in trouble. And Yeah, and, and, you know. and nothing happens to them. They're protected. Mm-hmm. Ain't that something? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I want, I want to turn, turn back for just a minute here. Yeah. Yeah. So you get, you get this sentence, you're, you're convicted, you know that you're serving – you know, I can't say how they do this, all the sentences in months, 364 months. Nobody thinks in months, but uh, so but essentially a 30 year sentence, 30, 30 years, four, four months. Could you even wrap your, what was your mindset at that time? What, what, what were you thinking? Oh, no. I was like, when the judge said uh, sentence to 364 months, I was like, well, I didn't hear life. You know, that was that's what I was already I had already set my kids. My kids were nine and, and, and 11 years old. And I had already told them I'm, I'm going to prison man, probably for for life. You know, and when they said 364 months, I was like, what? I'm like, oh, what? I, I, what? <laughs> and then I said, like, OK, well, thank you. I just said that. And then when I went to the back, you know, they put you in, in one of the cells in the back before they come and transfer you back to uh, wherever you got to go. And uh, I was like, started adding adding it up. And I said Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, that's 30 years. That's what you call a little life, you know? And I'm like, God, 
well, I didn't get none, no uh, life. And then my attorney went, went back there and said, oh, we're going to appeal, blah, blah, blah. And like, but what a lot of people don't understand is when you hire an attorney, you hire that attorney to uh, defend you at trial, okay? Once that trial is over, that's it. That's it. You don't have an attorney. But a lot of people keep talking about, well, my attorney, I'm going to call my attorney. That's going to cost you more money. You right. know, that's all it's going to cost you because your attorney already defended you. They're coming back and uh, no, they'll bleed your family dry. You know, and, and that's what they try. But I, you know what I had to do was I had to learn the law myself a little bit at a time because nobody knows your case better than you. Nobody. The attorneys don't know. They're only going to know what you tell them and what they read, which half of the time is not even right of what they read. You know, unless you, you know your own story. So, and that's what happened to me. I, I couldn't afford an appeals attorney. But I, the, I was lucky that the one that I had helped me. And we went to the Supreme Court. And that's where they said that one, one of my co-defendants won his. And they told me that they couldn't help me because I had not testified against nobody. Didn't help them any. So they had to help whoever helped them. And that's how it went wow. down. Unbelievable. Um, so you, so you had that, that one chance at the, at the appeal and you talk about the other time that your, your paperwork got, got misplaced. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, so 2015, this was, I guess this was before, maybe it was right around the same time. Yeah, I guess it was um, when Obama was granting all the commutations uh, with the yeah. clemency. I had found uh, this one friend had gotten me an attorney and uh, he, this attorney told me he didn't charge me nothing because of his friend. And he told me that uh, he was going to check into my, my records and stuff and see what was going on. And being that uh, from the first day that I set foot in that prison, in the prison system, I started educating myself, even though I couldn't get grants and stuff like that, but I started bettering myself and making changes for myself. So I had a pretty good record. And he said that writing on that, that would probably help me. And all the sentencing changes that were happening to just wait a minute, because I was probably going to qualify for the two level reduction. So really, and truly, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to go because uh, we would hear a lot about that throughout all the years and nothing ever happened. So when it happened, uh, I got a letter from uh, the uh, the probation officers and stuff, and they were telling me that I qualified for the reduction. So I contacted the, the attorney again, and the attorney said, you know what, don't even bother putting for uh, a clemency, although you would get it, but you're going to get your sentence reduction, and that will get you out the door. You're going to take the spot away from somebody else. So we didn't file for the clemency because – we assume we would, I was going to get out with this two level and I did mm. get out with the two level. Okay. Hey guys, just want to take a real quick break from today's show to tell you about a fantastic podcast that if for some reason you don't have it in your, your podcast feed yet, you need to add it. It's called free man beyond the wall. Of course it's hosted by none other than Pete Raymond, the artist formerly known as Mance Raider. Pete is an author. Um, he's a fantastic libertarian thinker. His guests range from everyone, the who's who of libertarians inside and also people outside of the liberty movement. His topics, he's covering everything from foreign policy to the police state, immigration, politics, libertarian theory, history, everything and anything in between. He's some of the most interesting shows that I've heard anywhere from any libertarian podcast. And of course, he's had myself and Brian and Mark on the show too. So that helps. Guys, be sure to check out and subscribe to Free Man Beyond the Wall with Pete Raymond. During your time in prison, you're serving this long sentence. You talked about, you know, wanting to educate yourself and better yourself during, you know, during your time in prison. Mm -hmm. um, was there anything uh, that sticks out to you, that stands out to you in your mind as, you know, you know, something that really that you learned in prison or, you know, maybe some uh, some wisdom uh, that, that you got from another prisoner that really sort of helped you, uh, helped you along the way and helped you to uh, to shape your outlook to get through that time. 
let me tell you, over there in the, in the federal prison, you have a lot of ladies that were convicted for something or another. And it's like a fraud or something. And, and that's what they were good at and stuff. So a lot of those ladies uh, were very savvy with, with their field. And they started teaching courses and stuff themselves. So we had a lot of courses and programs that uh, you could uh, enlist. And we had this one uh, officer. Uh, well, he was an officer. He was, I would call him a staff because he was higher than just a regular uh, correctional officer. He was a professor. And he got in charge of the education department there. And he started pushing education to where a lot of the ladies were actually enrolling in the education department because there was that was the opportunity. He would push you and he would make you want to learn. So we all started like getting more and more involved. He even got like crocheting and kneading and stuff into learning. Uh, that was a class that was learning because you were actually learning. There's some people that are not book smart, but can use their hands to to make a skill work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And out here in the free world, they could make their living if they used it right. You know, because right. not all people are book smart, you know. But then you have all these other other ladies that were criminals that were teaching classes and they were teaching you right because that's what they did. But some of them would still, you still had no access like to uh, computers and the internet and stuff like that. When I went to prison, we had the fax machine. The fax machine was the big deal. I was so excited. I was going to buy me a fax machine. Well, I went to prison and then they started talking about internet. And I'm like, oh, what's that? Internet and internet. And you would ask the staff and they would tell you a little bit about the internet and stuff. So you would get all excited and stuff. I just didn't know it was that deep. And when I come out, uh, I'm like lost. I'm totally lost. Uh, And and not only because of that, I also uh, had a lot of uh, electrical. I took apprenticeship in electrical to where I had 8,000 hours. And I was very proud of that. I took uh, uh, phlebotomy, uh, dialysis courses, nothing that you can practice on people because for real, I think that would have been fun, but they uh, they didn't let us. Uh, I mean, we learned a lot. Medical Mm -hmm. assistant. And I enrolled in all of those classes because I wanted to better myself. And you have like nurses and people that actually went to prison and they were like emergency nurses and head nurses and they did something wrong in their life and they end up in prison and they're teaching you everything about that so that when you get out you have a some kind of a skill well but that time i started getting sick and a lot of that education that i had gotten uh kind of like didn't help me a bit because I ended up a little bit on the, I ended up getting sick and all those skills that I had, I couldn't use them. I had to like back up a little bit too. Now I also did, I taught leather classes for 22 years also. And I talked to all walks of life of people. And sometimes you even have the child molesters that want to take a class. So you have to kind of like uh, set everything aside and you have to teach these people a skill, and I did that like, uh, oh my God, I don't know how many hundreds of ladies uh, graduated from our classes. Me and another lady, Billy mm-hmm. Taylor, we did the the classes. And, and this was all voluntary or were you getting Yeah, paid no, it was volunteer. Everything yeah. was volunteer. Any any teacher or what we would call, we were called instructors. Uh, it didn't matter what you taught. Uh, you were volunteered. You know, n- nobody ever paid you for anything and you didn't get no credit either or good days or nothing like that. You just did it out of the goodness of your heart and hopefully it would help somebody else. Right. That's how we, the women do. That's, that's amazing. So did you move around during your time in prison or were you at one facility the whole time? I was in, uh, they moved me to uh, California, Dublin, California. And that's where I met uh, Amy from Amy Can Do. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, now I wanted to give a big shout out to Amy Kandu because she was one of those ladies that contacted me when I got moved to Tallahassee, and she told me she was going to start this uh, nonprofit, and and if I wanted to go ahead and 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 you know get involved in it and stuff, but uh, I couldn't because uh, there was a friend of hers that was involved in my case, and I didn't trust Amy at that time. So later on, then I I found out that Amy really was was for real, and you know. So then I started I kind of like I back her up, and oh, and another shout out to Malik, okay, because you got two awesome people that volunteer, just mm-hmm. like a lot of the ladies in prison, and they get things done, and that's that's hard work, man. That really is. But I, I do want I did want to say thank you to those two people, because it it helps other people too. Oh yeah, Emma. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's important. It's really important to point out the work that Amy and Malik are doing, uh, you know, along with everything th- that the Can Do Foundation does. And yes, because a lot of people wouldn't even know we exist in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, they they don't they don't know what we do. Uh, a lot of people think that we're, you're in prison or you have your three meals a day. Uh, you have medical. Well, let me tell you right quick. There's no medical. There is medical. But it's going to be far, few, and selected. If you have a good PA, uh, those are rare, you know, because nowadays over there in federal prison, if you are a CO, work for the federal prison, and you have some kind of medical training, I don't care if it's a, a nurse assistant, that all you did was change bedpans, that is medical feel. They're going to hire you as a practitioner, Okay. And that's going to be, you're going to be assigned several inmates under you. And that's where you're going to have for a doctor. So half the time, those people are not real doctors. They don't know Mm -hmm. what they're doing. And they do have rules and regulations and guidelines that they have to go by. So all they are allowed really to give you are aspirins, maybe antibiotics, but they don't give those too much anymore. But I will tell you what they do give out like candy is those psych meds. They give psych meds like crazy over there. There's people that stand in line for two hours just to get their meds. And then what they do, they'll go sell it. And then, you know, there, there goes the circle again and stuff. But really and truly, there is not much medical. I have witnessed people die because of lack of medical attention. Inmates would help inmates because nobody wanted to help when you're really sick and they think that you're pretending or, uh, yeah, she's just pretending and they'll poke your eyes to see if you blink or whatever, if you blink or something. I mean, that is disgusting, you know, and and we would just look at them like, and you can't tell them nothing because they'll put you in the shoe. The shoe is, is, is the hole. And they're going to leave you there for days for, for running your mouth when you weren't supposed to is what they say. But yeah. It, it, you had some pretty serious health issues while you were in prison, right? Yes. I, man, I thought I had migraines. Okay. I had migraines for years and years. And then finally uh, it started getting like real bad to where I was like throwing up. And then I started like going blind uh, I, it was bad. And I would, I would go to medical and tell them, please, uh, something is wrong with me. They would take my blood pressure. Oh, well, it's a little high, but you know, probably cause you, you ran over here or, you know, they would, they would tell you something like that. Or, or they would have you sitting there, you go in and they have you sitting there for four hours before anybody sees you by then. Uh, everything, all the symptoms that you have have already done passed. Your blood pressure has settled down. You're okay because you're sitting down drinking water or whatever. And you, they see you and, well, there's nothing wrong with you. It took them nine years for them to finally start doing something for me. It started with a little, like a little BB size of a, a, a pellet behind my ear. And then it started like getting big and big and it became a ball. And they told me it was just a cyst that had, you know, like maybe grease or something, you know, oils and stuff. So I was like, what? And then it kind of like bothered me a little bit. And I was still losing my vision and stuff like that. So they finally gave me a sonogram to shut me up. 
and they found out that it was a heart mass. So they sent me to a, a, a doctor and they cut it open and they said that it was a, a ball full of, uh, you know, like a ball full of capillaries all wrapped up. And then that's all they told me. That was it. Well, they patched me up again and stuff and I was still losing my sight. And, and then I, I had a gate pass where I would go work outside the gate and fix houses and stuff. Because like I said, I had electrical skills and I was good at doing maintenance and painting and plumbing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I was like actually really good at that. And I would still get dizzy. I was uh, drinking so much uh uh, drinks, you know, just to, to help me get energy and stuff like that. And nothing was working. And finally, uh, one of the wardens that I was working for, uh, I told him, look, man, I, something's up. I need help. So somehow the PA that I had recommended for me to get an MRI. And when I got the MRI, they told me the the guy told me hey please just go sit down don't be working no more your doctor's gonna talk to you okay and i'm like oh okay so when i got over there to the to the prison the pa the the head honcho guy the big guy he actually met me outside the prison doors and he escorted me to his office i knew something was bad then Hmm. And he sat me down and he said, oh, look, I want to show you what we have. Because the MRI results went got there first before I even got back to the prison, you know, because that's how bad it was. And they found out that I had three brain aneurysms and they were giant ones. They weren't little ones. They were giant because of lack of uh, medical help. It's, it's later on is what I was told. So. That was in 2013. By 2014, they started giving me the surgeries and I had to get like surgery. One was like in December and then I had to get another one in February because that's how bad they were. And I was just kind of like hanging by a thread. Wow. And and I got that. And on the second surgery, I was fine. I was fine. I, and they, they some lady came to pick me up and from there, I, I don't remember. They said when I got to prison, uh, I was bad. I was really, really bad to where the one of the lieutenants told my friend to go get me up because they hadn't checked me in and they were going to have count. And I was like out of it. I was totally out. And at night, I, uh, I was like real, real sick to where I had this headache that was out of this world. It's like your head is getting crushed. My eyes were pulling out. They were, wow. I, was, I was bad sick. So one of the old time officers that knew me, because after you've been there for so many years, they know you, okay? You kind of like grow with them, you know? And the lady knew that if I told you that I was sick, I was sick. And she went ahead and they called the warden they got the ambulance i don't remember riding the ambulance i don't remember much of anything i know that when when i was there they told me that i had bleeding on the brain and they were giving me like so many cat scans it was it was crazy because they were trying to see if uh, the bleeding was going to stop and stuff or i was going to get the surgery and then the bleeding stopped but uh my i got cross-eyed I uh, lost half of the feelings from my face, my right side. I have uh, ringing in my ear all the time. And my vision got better after seven months. And then they went ahead and did the other surgery that they had to do to help me correct it. But they said that uh, they had too many. They do coils. What they do is they put coils inside and fill those aneurysms. And that kind of prolongs your life to where they won't rupture. So I have so many coils inside my brain that uh, that, that it, it numbed half of my face. And it's like uh, I forget stuff. After that surgery, I forget stuff. I have to write things down. All my electrical skills went downhill because my doctor told me to get another skill because if I ever like did wiring or something and I forgot to tighten a wire, 
I could be hurting or, 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 you know, hurting a family or something if they had a fire or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had to use a backup skill and, and I, and I did is sewing. But then when I, when I got out and I sat in front of the sewing machine, uh, I couldn't thread it. I was, uh, lost. And, uh, but the doctor kind of, they, they talked to me and they had to tell me that, you know, I have to kind of write things down and, and stuff. I have real good days. And then I had like real bad days. If it rains, I, I still get headaches. The doctor is scared to go back in again. And uh, they have to go back in, but they're scared because, uh, you know, your, your arteries have so many turns and stuff. And they're, they're scared that they're going to do more rupture and more harm now than anything because I have so many wires in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm loaded. <laughs> I am <Wow>. loaded. <laughs> So your last surgery, all your surgeries were while you were still in prison. There's been nothing. I had three surgeries in prison. And then I had uh, one more here in, uh, in Dayton when I got here, Mm -hmm. because after a while, the coils, they settle and I started seeing kind of double again, which I still do. So now what I do is I sit down for a little while and I rest and Mm -hmm. that, but yeah, the, I, I did get that, but after after so many years that, you know, I had to do. Well, had to you, you definitely can't tell talking with you here. Um, you can't tell if you do have issues with your, with your memory or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah it's, can't, it's can't so tell weird with because you, so. there's some things that I can remember so clear, and then there's mm-hmm. other things that I can't. Sometimes I'll I'll have a uh, something in my hand and and I'll lose it and it's, and I can't find it and that didn't go nowhere. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. and they tell me no everybody does that. No, sometimes I my daughter and my son told me that uh just push the button mom on, on the phone and stuff. I locked myself out of the phone for 2 days and they, even they couldn't figure it out. Okay? Uh, that's why I told you about this computer stuff because yeah. when you say computer my whole world just 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 wrecks, just shambles because I know that I'm going to have an issue. My my son bought me an embroidery machine that does digitizing and all that kind of stuff because I loved, I used to do embroidery and I can't figure it out because I write it down and then I can't find the information that I wrote down. And then other days I am real good. I can do the letters. I can do this. And then the next day uh, I can't remember. I know I did this, but what's the second step? And some of those machines, computers, they need steps, you know, step one, step two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, especially with even on top of that, just even for somebody coming out who, um, you know, is is one hundred percent just trying to adapt to the advance in technology. You're in prison for what was it? Almost twenty years, right? I mean, that's it's incredible to, to try to catch up. Oh my God, I get I get so scary. I start shaking. I'm not I'm not kidding you. And I'm here by myself, and I'm like. Oh my God, I'm glad so nobody's here watching me do these stupid things here, you know? <laughs> and then they say, Google it, mom. Oh my God, I can't stand that word sometimes because I get lost in the Google too. <laughs> yeah. But I don't give up. I still try. And, and then I find little avenues and stuff. And, and then I, it makes me feel good. So I, I try more and I try more. And, you know, so, so that's kind of, that, that's cool. But let me tell you one thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, this last surgery that I had, uh, the doctor put a whole bunch of more wires in there and stuff. But then when I woke up, there was this weird thing that happened to me. And it was right there still in the ICU that I could remember like it was yesterday what happened to me when when I got cross-sighted and stuff, that I got real sick, that I couldn't remember. It was that that time you can't remember when I got picked up from the hospital, whoever picked me up, they didn't even put a seatbelt on me. And I think I fell in the van and hurt myself Oh man! because I was okay in the hospital because they asked and the doctor asked me, Irma, you were okay. What, what happened? You know? And, and now I, I would, I would see things coming out of the wall the doctor was writing everything because not too many people survive after you have a rupture like that. And it kind of like sealed itself, but all this blood that was in the, in, in your brain, 
and you know it was not a it was not a good time it was a very very rough time and i also want to thank god right now uh god i know you're hearing me <laughs> thank god for uh, allowing me to have a second chance because when you cross-sighted you can't eat you can't be balanced you i mean everything is is downhill and the and the thing about it was not too many of my family knew what was really going on you know my my friends in prison were the ones that helped me. It wasn't the staff. It was the ladies there that helped me get through a lot of stuff. And and hopefully one day I can tell them thank you. You know, because I have witnessed, besides me, I have witnessed so many bad things, evil things that, that medical has done to ladies there. For I mean, there's no need for stuff like that. I just got lucky that I survived. Yeah, just an, an incredible story, Irma. Really, a uh, that is you know, true, all, man. It's true. All, all that you've been through, um, you know, it's it's really it's really inspirational. Um, I think it's it's inspirational to to anybody out there. That's I've been, uh, that, I've been through hell and stuff, but you know what? You never give up. You stay focused and you try and better yourself. Now that I have a different thinking, because I know that I can't do a lot of the stuff that I did, I have to do other things, you know, and to still, you know, make, make yourself be worth, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I do sewing now. I do, I try to do sewing. I have good days and bad days. Sometimes when I'm, sometimes I'm in the sewing mode, you can't tell me nothing. Other days I just have to sit down and just, and just look stupid, you know, just take time and, and do good. But I have a chihuahua. You know, <laughs> well, that's good. And you, you have uh, two kids. Is that right? I have two, two. I have a daughter and mm -hmm. a son. My daughter's in the military. She's in the Air Force, which is fixing to go to Afghanistan in October. And my son is in Corpus Christi, Texas. And he's an awesome dad. He's okay. awesome. Yes. I have, I have three grandkids. One is uh, just graduated and I went to his graduation. I never thought I was going to be able to see him graduate. And I have two little rug rats. <laughs> yeah, th a three and a four-year-old. They oh, that's are awesome. They're awesome, man. Yeah, God gave me that chance to to see grandkids. Yeah, and that'll uh, that that'll keep you young. The little ones keep you young. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm very proud of my daughter. You know, I, I I know my daughter has a lot of resentment to me because they think that I picked drugs over them and I, I didn't it's just I got mixed up in that kind of life this was before they were born and really and truly it was it was I hate to say this but it was kind of like good for me to have gone to prison because I believe I was grooming my daughter to be me you know mm. and and it took prison to change me also and appreciate who I am, the value that I have, because I didn't think very good of myself back in those days, you know, and now I know what I'm worth, even though I might have medical issues, but I am a better person than I was. So who, who raised your son and daughter when you went to prison? Okay. My, it started with my family and then I, uh, I had my ex-husband take care of my son and my daughter was raised by one of my neighbors, which was one of my very good friends. And that lady did an awesome, awesome job. My kids are okay. They're good kids. That's great. Yeah. Sometimes they get out of line, you know, but then they're good. <laughs> well, Irma, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the show today and sharing your story. Uh, you know, you so much. I'm sure this is, you know, people who – Obviously, have been to prison, you know, can relate to a lot of things when, when you're talking about that experience. But I think this is a powerful story, even for people who haven't been to prison, um, yes. just to see all the obstacles that you've overcome um, throughout your journey here and still keeping a positive attitude and still learning new things. So you have to. Uh, I just want to want to thank you for for sharing that today with my audience. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, with that being said, uh, I, I guess I kept you a, a, little, a little longer than we talked about, but uh, 
Thanks for coming on the show. And no, thank uh, you. And uh, thank you for having your show and making other people be aware of what's going on inside those those walls. And really, uh, if we really sat down and talked, you would not like a lot of the stuff that goes on with some of the ladies that with health issues. And I wish somebody would make it more known because there's a lot of uh, death there that shouldn't happen, really. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe um – you know, I, I I think that does need to be talked about. I, I think maybe I need to have a an episode dedicated to that. Maybe if if you want to come back on, or I, I don't know who to who to get to speak to that. Maybe maybe a you know a couple different guests would could could speak to it. But I hundred percent agree with you that you know I've I've read the horror stories and I, that yeah that needs a light shined on it. Yes, because a lot of people think uh, the the people here in the free world think that oh they have medical they have dental they no. Uh, if you're going to go to dental, they're going to pull your teeth out. You're going to come out of prison without teeth. That That's mm-hmm. it. And that's all. You know, it's just people back in the days, I guess, prison or club fed, how they call it. That's when it was okay. You know, but nowadays, no, it's prison is prison. And, and some of their families are really real bad and they just don't let their families know because they don't want to worry them. But prison really, really is hell. I wish people would understand and not take it for granted. If you have a loved one in prison, drop a line, mm-hmm. a letter, something like that, because it's it's one of the loneliest and the lowest place that anybody can ever go. It's dark. Right. It's dark. 100% agree, Irma. Thank you so much for coming on today's show. Okay. Thank you for you. Now, you behave yourself. That is a wrap for today's show. I want to thank Irma Allred for sharing her story. Uh, you know, it's <clears throat> these stories, no matter how many times I record shows like this with people who have been to prison, um, who have just experienced hardships, struggles, medical issues, the things that she had to overcome, the obstacles that she's had to overcome with her health and with everything else, with serving a prison sentence for nonviolent crime, of selling a plant, conspiring to sell a plant, and doing so much time, two decades. Two decades, more than two decades in prison. Or, no, about about two decades. Just completely, completely absurd and ridiculous that we live in a society where things are starting to turn. Um, things are getting a little bit better with regards to uh, the selling of marijuana specifically and how that is criminalized. Long way to go, but we are making a little bit of progress. But when you hear... A story like this about Irma Allred and all she's been, all she had to go through, the injustice she really faced. Um, when I talk about injustice, I'm not talking about the legal sense. Um, I'm just talking about how ridiculous overall looking at uh, this case. She admitted that she broke the law and uh, and did things wrong per the letter of the law. But when you look at things ethically, morally, what did she do wrong? Who did she harm? Nobody. She didn't harm anybody. And for that, she did 20 years in prison. So I want to thank Irma once again for coming on the show and being so open, so honest today. Uh, this show is, uh, it's, it's been a powerful, powerful show. And I know it's going to help a lot of people and hopefully inspire a lot of people to, you know, when they look at what Irma's had to go through and how she still has a positive outlook today. Um, when people look at their own life and obstacles they come across in their day to day, can you know really lean on lean on this story and realize that you know you can you can get past it, you can get through it, you can overcome it. Really, your problems most likely pale in comparison to what Irma Allred came uh, had to overcome. So I want to thank you all for listening today. Just want to drop a quick reminder. Please consider joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. We've had a bunch of people join lately. want to remind you, if you can, or um, I should say, that you are able to, if you join the Pride, even just at the $2 level, which is our lowest level, you get access to our Facebook group. In our Facebook group, we do live streams of our Democratic debate and eventually our general, general election debate reaction shows they're very entertaining. So just for $2 a month, you get access to our Facebook group and that content. To get the rest of our bonus content, you got to go up that extra 3 bucks. You're going to have to kick that in. Just for $5 a month, you get all that. There's other levels, other stuff. Go read about it. 
patreon.com slash lines of liberty thank you all so much for listening to today's episode with irma allred please share it with your networks and uh please share all of our episodes we uh rely on you guys heavily to help spread the word for the uh the work we're doing here so we appreciate the support and with that being said guys this is john odermatt signing off always remember to keep your head up and the fire is the liberty burning